Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. I will continue today talking about some uncommon phenomena, and that is the phenomena of uncommon growth, uncommon growth. And I want to begin today uh, with a look at one of the world's best athletes because I believe his story helps us to get a glimpse and an image of what it means to have uncommon growth. And so the, the image that I, I like you all to take a look at is the image of one of the best NBA players in the world. And that image is of none other than a young man named Anthony uh, Marshawn Davis Jr. Uh, many know him as A.D. And I showed this picture because he has a story that I would consider to be one of uncommon growth. Now, I want to do something. I want to give you the after so that you can understand the before. Now, uh, his accolades are extensive. Here are some of his career highlights and awards for those who may not know who he is. He is a six-time NBA All-Star. He's been an All-Star Game MVP. He's a three-time All-NBA First Team person. Now, I'll skip down just to save some time. He, three times he led the NBA in blocks. He was a member of the All-Rookie First Team in 2013. He was an NCAA college champion. Uh, he was the Final Four Most Outstanding Player. Uh, when he was a freshman, and actually his only year at the University of Kentucky, he won National Freshman of the Year. He was the SEC Player of the Year. He was the Defensive Player of the Year. He was the SEC Rookie of the Year. This young man is very decorated when it comes to the domain of athletics. Now, what's interesting, that's his after, and if you are following the NBA right now, you know he's doing his thing with a, a gentleman that we all know as LeBron James in Los Angeles, California. Many predict that they will perhaps meet the Bucks. shout out to the Bucks in the NBA Finals, but his after is, is, is beautiful, but I think what gives his story so much value to our topic of uncommon growth is the fact that his beginning was a bit, it was a bit interesting. You see, A.D., as he's called, went to a charter school that's known more for academics than it is for sports. In fact, his charter school was considered, uh, the league that they play in was, was considered weak compared to other divisions in Chicago uh, public schools. The school didn't even have a gymnasium, and they had to practice at a nearby church. It's interesting because A.D.'s journey uh, is one that I wish I would have had when I was in high school. You see, when J A.D. entered his freshman year of high school, he was only six feet tall. By his sophomore year, he grew to be six foot one. 
By his junior year, he came in, he was, uh, uh, he was six foot four. And by the time he finished his senior year, he was six feet, 10 inches tall, almost seven feet. I believe he experienced uh, uncommon growth. That's not common, right? You know, I was one of those young men. I, I saw a movie about Pistol Pete, and they said he used to hang from a bar in his, in his daddy's basement to try to stretch himself so that he could get taller. And I, I had those kind of uh, grandiose illusions that if I just stretch myself, and then maybe I'll get about six foot five, and, you know, I have a better chance of doing some things that I want to do as it pertains to basketball. And it's interesting because... His parents, as he was growing and maturing as a ball player, before he reached the, uh, the height of 6'10", uh, I believe it was maybe a little bit before his junior year, his parents thought about transferring him to a well more, uh, uh, a better known high school, one that competed in the top leagues in, in the Chicago area. And it, it was Hyde Pike Career, Hyde, Hyde Park, excuse me, Career Academy for those who may be from Chicago. Uh, but the coach there actually said here, he said, listen, if he's good enough, they'll find him wherever he is. If he's good enough, they will find him wherever he is. And so nonetheless, they heeded his wisdom and advice, uh, and David stayed at this small school, and he played very well. In fact, he became the number one player in the class of 2011. Uh, his exposure came because he joined the AAU team that was very popular in the area, and uh, he became known to many colleges and universities. Look at his stat line for his final year of high school. For his final year of high school at this small school in a weak division, he, ad he averaged 32 points a game, 22 blocks, sorry, 22 rebounds per game, and seven blocks per game. An incredible stat line, and I'm sure anybody who knows sports, you know basketball, if you're putting up numbers like that, somebody's gonna come see you. If nothing else, they want to know if you are actually the truth. I believe many of us in here can relate to AD. We know we have some skills. We know we have some good, some good things on the inside of us. Uh, we may be okay with where we are, but we believe that there's more that we can possibly attain. There's more that we can possibly uh, achieve. And, and, and in some ways, we might feel boxed in. We might feel like our surroundings are not big enough for what we know is on the inside of us. We feel precluded by our circumstances. When I consider the way that his path unfolded and his current trajectory, this is the conclusion that I have. I conclude that greatness, as we're seeing now, and greatness, as, we've, uh, as you all have heard, as I listed out his accolades and his achievements, I believe that greatness was always a part of God's plan for him. Again, it's uncommon for a young man at ninth grade to be six feet tall and then by, senior, by his senior year to be six foot, uh, six foot ten inches tall. That's uncommon and have arms that are almost to the floor and have incredible talent and athleticism. In other words, nobody just becomes a pro athlete. You just don't, if it was, if it was that easy, then the number wouldn't be so minuscule for those who make it to those ranks. I believe it was all a part of God's plan for him to reach the level that he is. And here's why, because I, I heard Bishop Clarence McClendon say this. He said, celebrity is a line of credit from God for you to do what he called you to do. In other words, celebrity allows you to have a leverage that other people don't have. In other words, because you are famous and popular, people will listen to you in a way that they won't listen to the common person or the average Joe. The Bible says that, that God promised Abraham a level of fame, if you will. He said, I'll make your name great. 
And so in other words, we don't really have to beg and we don't have to plead for God to do something great in our lives because it's already in his plan. Somebody say it's already in his plan. What I love about A.D.'s story is that he received a gift that I surmise his family never foresaw. And again, that is that he grew 10 inches in four years. <laughs> 10 inches in four years. If you ask me, I would say that's uncommon growth. And it was a gift because no matter how many hours he spent dribbling the basketball, perhaps at the playground or in his mother's basement, no matter how many times he did push-ups and no matter how many games he watched on TV, he could never achieve a 10-inch growth by his own merit. That was something that was divinely orchestrated. That was something that happened outside of himself. It was something that I believe was even beyond the natural. It had to be a gift. It had to come from heaven. Many of us have big plans, big dreams, and big ideas, uh, but in order for us to go where God wants us to go, we have to have this gift, and I believe that's the gift of uncommon growth. There is something that's, that has to happen to you, even on the inside, so that you can be prepared for the big things that God has for you. A.D. would not have been able to achieve all of those things if he didn't grow to be 10 inches, 6 foot 10 inches tall, because guess what? There are a lot of 6 foot tall persons that do play in the NBA, and do play at a high collegiate air, air, uh, level or, or, or elevation, but guess what? They don't all achieve all of those different uh, uh, accolades and all those different awards. It has to be somebody that has something special about them. Likewise, there are a lot of tall people who don't achieve like A.D. did, so there was a combination of his natural and God's super making it an incredible thing. God wants us to grow. It's easy to believe that success or the key to success is something that lies outside of you. In other words, A.D.'s family, and perhaps he as well, and maybe it's because he was listening or they were listening to people around them, they believed that in order for him to get to really where he is right now, he had to leave where he was. If you look at other people, and Bishop referenced this last week, you, you will believe that perhaps only God is good to them. And if God is good to them and this is a is this is an indication of his goodness because they're doing so well by uh, earthly standards, then perhaps there must be something wrong with me or perhaps he's not as good to to me as he is to them. Whatever the case is, I need you to know today that God has a plan for you and his plan is specific. His plan is unique. His plan is custom. His plan is tailor made just for you. And all the provision that he has in his plan and purpose will come to pass in your life. But there's something that you have to experience, and that is grow. Somebody say grow. Now, for the textual part of, of this sermon, I want to draw your attention to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to do a little bit of reading uh, prior to me diving in a bit more to some of the, the key points 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is a very familiar text, and there are many different themes and angles that you can take, and so I want to approach this within the context of uncommon growth. The Bible says this, there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jer Jeroham and the grandson of Elihu from the family of Tohu and the clan of Zuth. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children while Hannah did not. 
Each year, Elkanah and his family would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the day Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the sacrifice to Peninnah and each of her children. But he gave Hannah a special portion because he loved her very much even though the Lord had given her no children. Somebody underline that if you have a chance, so just note that. But Peninnah made fun of Hannah because the Lord had closed her womb. There's two times it says that. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Hannah would finally be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Elkanah said, what's the matter, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be so sad just because you have no children? Uh, that's the wrong thing to say right there. You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Verse 9. Once they were at Shiloh, Hannah went over to the tabernacle after supper to pray to the Lord. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord Almighty, if you will look down upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign he, that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Skip down to verse 19. Uh, uh, the Bible says the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. Then when Elkanah, Elkanah excuse me, slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her request. And in due time, somebody say due time. She gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel for she said, I asked the Lord uh, for him. Let me go to verse 26 here. Uh, uh, then verse 26 says, and this is when she is speaking to Eli, she went back with her son. She says, do you remember me? I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this child, verse 27, and he has given me my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. Turn with me, if you will, please, uh, to chapter 2. And I want to read verses 21 and 26. And this is very important. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 21, And the Lord gave Hannah three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Verse 26 says this, Meanwhile, as young Samuel grew taller, he also continued to gain favor with the Lord and with the people. We're going to travel a little bit in the scriptures. Go to chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, and then I will stop. Chapter 3. Of verse uh, 1 Samuel. It says, as Samuel grew up, I said that word grew three times, as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said was wise and helpful. All the people of Israel from one end of the land to the other knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle, and Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. Now, I read a whole lot, but what I tried to do was do a parallel between uh, uh, A.D.'s life and, 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 and Hannah and Samuel's life because there was growth in both of those instances. In other words, I wanted to give you the beginning of Hannah and Samuel's story, but also give you the ending because the ending was very good, just like we see A.D.'s uh, ending portraying and being played out right now. And if I could draw a, a, a main theme, perhaps, from this text that will support the notion of uncommon growth is, is the theme of waiting. 
Waiting is a phenomenon that most people really abhor. They don't like to wait. We don't like to wait, and I would submit to you that there are at least three, three kind of uh, questions or wonderings that are going on while we wait. We wrestle with accepting the fact that we have to wait. And then we wrestle with having to deal with the circumstances that we encounter while we wait. And then we wrestle with the temptation to ask the question, is my desire, is what I'm looking for, is what I'm trying to attain even worth waiting for? You see, society has contributed to, contributed to a, a condition that we have that we don't want to wait. I mean, look at the different things that we have in our homes. I'm pretty sure if I were to take a poll, almost all of us would say we have a microwave oven in our house. So we don't have to wait a whole long time to, to eat food. We just have to warm it up for a few minutes and then we're all good. Uh, if we look at fast food, even though sometimes, uh, depending on what neighborhood you're in, it's not really fast food, but the concept of fast food uh, says to us that I don't have to wait like people do when they go into the restaurant. I can get my meal a lot faster. Uh, how about the, the phenomenon of credit? Credit says even though you don't have the cash in your pocket right now, if you have this card, you can still get what you want even though you don't have the actual monetary means to be able to purchase that thing. How about the internet and anything online? Right now, I can go to Japan online when I can't get there physically by plane or by boat. I can go to Japan right now and look at photos. I can chat with somebody that's in the Far East because of technology. We don't like to wait. And society has created conditions for us uh, that, that, that cause us to not like to wait. But if we subscribe to the world's uh, ideas about waiting then and, and, and the way that it's conditioning us to, to exist as human beings in this era of civilization, then we will find ourselves in conflict with what kingdom protocol is because kingdom protocol is that we have to wait. The Bible says in Psalm 27, 14, David says, he says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. James writes in chapter 5 of his, of his letter to the church, he says, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Uh, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly wait or look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. Many of us have been believing God for some things and you right now are in the process of waiting. And perhaps you're wondering, is what I'm waiting for worth this wait? Because I'm dealing with a whole lot in the midst of it. There's some circumstances that are very uncomfortable to me while I'm waiting and my patience is running thin. Lord, I know one of your fruit is to be patient, but I don't know if I actually have the patience. I want to submit to you that part, part of the thing that, that, that God is doing while we wait is that he really wants something to grow on the inside of us. I, I believe that God wants us to elevate our perspective and our thinking to match his intention. I believe that part of the reason that we have to wait is because we think that we're tracking with God and really we're not. I believe that God wants us to recalibrate our desires because what he has for us was, is eternal. In fact, it was before you were even born, before you saw the thing that you believed that you wanted, before you thought you wanted that career, God already had a plan. So I believe that while we wait, God is wanting us to come up in our perspective. See, Hannah wanted a son. But God wanted to shake a nation. Hannah, Hannah wanted to be a mother, but God wanted to start a movement. 
And so they weren't tracking right. She, she wanted something that was uh, beautiful in its own right, but not big enough for what God wanted. I heard Bishop Jake say this one time. He, he, he said, our, our ceilings are God's basement. And so while we wait, God wants to recalibrate our, our perspective so we can match what he wants for our lives. Now let me give you a little bit of background and context. See, here's why God wanted something bigger than just Hannah wanting a son because the Bible says that in the book of Judges that the people of Israel were in chaos and in disorder after Joshua had passed on. And many of us have quoted Joshua's famous imperative. He says, if, if serving the Lord seems evil to you, Right? He goes on, he says, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm pretty sure some of you have said that to your children. <laughs> if you're going to live in my house, you're going to serve the Lord. And so, and so Joshua died, though. And the Bible says a generation arose that, that did not follow his imperative. They, they did not follow the Lord as, God, as Joshua has had intended. And the Bible says that there was no king in those days and people did whatever they believed was right in their own sight. And that's what happens with the theory of relativity. That's why it cannot be what we base our world upon because if everybody is doing what they want to do, the, the end result is going to be chaos and disorder. And so there's a need for some order to be brought to the people of God. There, there's a need for some order to be brought to the house of God. And then we fast forward to the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth ends with a preview of what's coming. Because the Bible says that Ruth and Boaz, they became married. And they had a son. And his name was Obed. And Obed had a son. And his name was Jesse. And Jesse had multiple sons. But he had one son. And his name was David. See, God was working something out in the background. Before Hannah even knew about it, God was working something out. God always has a plan, and his plan is fail-proof. In other words, God was orchestrating a family line be behind the scenes. So what? So the Savior could come. Even though there was disorder and disarray, God still had a plan. And even though we might look at America, we might look at the world and feel like, hey, there's always, there's all this chaos going on and Trump this and, and Trump that and impeachment this and impeachment that and global warming this and global warming that. Even though all this stuff is going on, you better believe and recognize that God has a plan. <laughs> See, Hannah was saying, God, I want a son. And, and God was saying, I'm going to get my son back. My son Israel has, has gone away from me. But I promised them that they would be my people and I would be their God. I, I want my son back. So Hannah, I know you want a son, but I want a nation. As much as Hannah wanted a son, God wanted a son more. As much as, much as we want to give birth to visions and dreams, God wants us to give birth to visions and dreams even more. Why? Because whatever we birth is needed for what God is already building and what God is already doing. Come on. God is a good God. Bishop said that last week. He is so good. He is even more than Campbell's soup good. God is good good and since he did not even spare his own son what makes you think that he will withhold those things that you desire from you the bible says he will not withhold any good thing from those who walk up rightly before him so if you know that you are in right standing with god if you know that you're walking right with god if you know you've been faithful to god if you know you've been praying and you've been desiring these things of the lord and you know he has given you the desires of your heart he will deliver 
but it's on his terms. <laughs> He's already working something out because Hannah did not know that God was already working on something behind the scenes. It's interesting, people of God, that the name Hannah means grace. And so what this says to us, if we, if we just zoom out for a moment, grace produces things in us that we can never produce on our own. In other words, God wants to do by grace what you could never do in your own strength. Let me put it to you like this. The only way you can get a Samuel is by grace. The only way you can get something powerful in the spirit realm and something powerful that will shake a nation. Because see, look, 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 look. Let me say, God is not just, he's not interested in these material things that you will not often covet. Come on. We want cars and we want houses and we want toys, but God wants to stir nations. God wants to turn communities around. So, okay, get the vehicle. Okay, get the house. Okay, get the linens. But what about the souls around you? What about the moral condition of the city that you live in? It's only going to come by grace. Moving on. Here's what we have to be sure that we don't do while we're waiting. Because we don't like to wait. But God is doing something while we wait. I encourage you not to make this mistake. We mistake preparation for punishment. Don't do it. In other words, God is not mad at you. But as I just attempted to articulate and will reinstate right now, God is working something in the background, and it's not that he's mad, it's the timing isn't right. The timing isn't right. Well, why do you say that? Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6, because the Bible says two different times that the Lord closed Hannah's womb. So what that suggests to me, Minister Tim, is that by natural circumstances, she could have bore a child. But the Lord closed her womb. Why? Because there was something that needed to happen. There was a waiting process that needed to happen because uh, what God has for us is so much beyond us. And I keep hitting that point because we have to really understand this. That the conditions have to be right on the inside of us to even birth that thing that God wants. How many of you know that a lot of the problems people have in our community, even in our family, it didn't happen when the child was walking around, running around, or when you became an adult. The problems that many people have started in the womb. Chaos in the house while the baby's in the womb. Uh, mistreatment in the marriage while the baby's in the womb. And then the child comes out with insecurities. And then the child comes out with frustration. You wonder why that baby won't stop crying. It's because of the conditions that happened when they were in the womb. And so there's some things that had to happen in Hannah. There was some growth that had to happen in Hannah. Now, you need to understand something about this. Childlessness was a, 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 a mark of shame in the community at that particular time. Childless women were considered failures. Barrenness was a, a, a social embarrassment. In fact, uh, it was an economic imperative related to having children because they were a source of labor. Family-wise and socially, they, 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 they were regarded as those who would be custodians of their parents when they got old. In other words, they would take care of the parents in, in, in their uh, uh, more uh, uh, senior years. 
Middle Eastern custom obligated women, now get this, to give their servant girls to their husband. Now we understand a little bit better why Sarah did what she did, because we can't really understand why would Sarah do that. But now we understand you, because why children were that important? Civil law permitted husbands to divorce their wives if they could not bear children. This was a serious matter. God is such a good God, though. <laughs> That even in the midst of her barrenness, even in the midst of the time where her womb was closed, God still showed favor towards Hannah. Uh, the Bible says that Elkanah loved him some Hannah. And even in the midst of her situation, he gave her, the Bible says, a double, a double portion uh, of the sacrificial meat, even though she did not meet the conditions or the criteria. You see, the Bible wants us to understand that, that Samuel was always on the way. The Lord just put a, he just, if anything, God postponed the conception. God postponed the birthing. He saw her tears, and guess what? God sees your tears. He heard her cries, so guess what? God hears your cries. He saw the uncomfortable nature of her situation. Guess what? God sees the uncomfortable nature of your situation, but it's something greater that he's wanting to work on the inside of you. There's a Samuel that God wants to bring through you. There's something that's going to be big and powerful in your context, in the sphere of your influence that God wants to do with you. So unfortunately, you just got to wait. You just have to wait because, again, God has a plan. Her womb wasn't closed because she was sinful. Her womb wasn't closed because she was guilty. But the Bible says that God closed her womb because something unusual, something uncommon was in the mind of God to get Israel back in line and in order tracking with him. Guess what? Samuel did these things. Let's look at his resume. Samuel reintroduced the voice of God to Israel. The Bible says that during the time of Eli, the word of the Lord was rare, but when Samuel comes on the scene and he grows up, the word of the Lord returns to the nation. In fact, no word that God spoke to Samuel fell to the ground. Samuel, he restored integrity and honor to the priesthood. Samuel, he anointed the first two kings of Israel. Samuel established prophetic schools at Ramah and Bethel and Gilgal. Samuel, in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, he called the nation to repentance. He interceded for a nation. He led a national fast. As long as Samuel was living, the enemies of Israel could not prevail. I don't know about you, but that's something powerful. That's something dynamic. That's something amazing. And if, if waiting will produce this, then Lord, I'll wait on you. If waiting will produce something like a Samuel, then God, I will close my mouth. I'll be patient, Lord. I'm sorry, God. I didn't see it like you see it. Come on, somebody say, I'll wait on you. I'll wait, Lord. I'll wait. We don't like this, but guess what? I, I have to say it, but the chosen will often have it harder. Parents, you know, some of your children who are doing the best right now gave you the hardest time. They had a hard path. They gave you many gray hairs. Those are who you bit more seasoned. <laughs> you might have highlighted them now, but they, came, they became gray at some point. Many heartaches, many nights where you couldn't sleep, many, many times fussing on the phone to, 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 to people that you love because your child is acting up. Sometimes those who are chosen have it the hardest. Why? Because something uncommon is being produced on the inside and it has to grow. 
Samuel had to come forth because guess what? Samuel had to be there for David. <laughs> Samuel had to be there for David. And after David was coming, Jehoshaphat. And after Jehoshaphat was coming, Hezekiah. And after Hezekiah was coming, Josiah. And after Josiah, Jesus was coming. Samuel had to come forth. There was something uncommon that was happening. God's not mad at you, but he's trying to create the conditions in you to give birth to something that's so much greater and powerful than you can ever think or imagine. Hallelujah. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can think or imagine according to the power that worketh in you. Don't mistake preparation for punishment. The second thing I want to bring out real quick is this. Uh, uh, Penina. Uh. You see, the Bible says in the King James text, Penina, it, it doesn't say her name, but it references Hannah's adversary. Penina is an adversary. She was, I believe she was jealous because Elkanah was showing favor to Hannah. Remember, uh, uh, even though she didn't have children, Elkanah gave Hannah the double portion. In other words, why she get that? Right? It's, it's bad enough she in my house, Elkanah. It's bad enough I got to share her with you. Why does she get a double portion of this meat? Me and my babies got to eat. Why does she get the special portion? And so the Bible says she taunted Hannah. The message Bible says she rubbed it in that she couldn't have a child. It says she never let Hannah forget that she was barren. The New American Standard Bible says that Peninnah provoked Hannah bitterly to, to just to irritate her. The contemporary English version says she liked to make Hannah feel miserable. Ah! 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 You know? Just being era, just you just irritating just because you can. You ever been around people like that? I mean, just ugh. You don't even have a vocabulary word for it. It's just ugh. You, you walk into the house at the family gathering. You know it might be coming up this Christmas. You walk into the house and ugh. <laughs> you, you know, baby, we only gonna stay about thirty minutes because uh, ugh. So Panina. She made it her business to make Hannah's life terrible. The Bible says she reduced her to tears. She was annoying, but guess what? She had a purpose. <laughs> Watch this. Peninnah's purpose or Peninnah's aggravation, her annoyance, guess what it did? It pushed Hannah to the altar. You see, because up until we see or uh, we read in the text about her taunting Hannah, we don't really hear any mention of Hannah talking to God in prayer. And so Peninnah's might come in our lives, but the purpose of a Peninnah, the purpose of an adversary is to push us into God, push us to press into the promise of God. She was being an irritant. She was being an adversary. It reminds me of the devil. In fact, his name means adversary. And like Bishop has taught us so many times, the devil is God's devil. In other words, he cannot do what God does not allow. And so just like Peninnah, the devil will bring about trials and the devil will insert thoughts into our mind and the devil will do things to try to get us off the path of God. 
He'll work overtime to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But guess what? To the degree that God would allow it, it happens so that what? It will cause us to seek God. Because most of us, if we never had to wait, most of us, if we never had to suffer, most of us, if we never had to pause, none of us would run to the altar. Most of us, we wouldn't. There are some of us who are pious like that. There are some of us who are religious like that. But most of us, if we didn't have to, we wouldn't pray. We wouldn't pray. And so there has to be something, some impetus, something to push us to the altar. And Peninnah's taunting pushed Hannah to the altar. Sometimes all we need is a little push. Sometimes we just need a little push. And God is saying, I want to push you this morning because what you're believing me for is not really in line with what I have for you. He said, I want to push you because when you get pushed to the altar, then you come into my presence. And unless you get pushed into my presence, then I can't work on you the way I want to work on you. And if I can't work on you, then what's uncommon can't come through you. If I can't work on you, what's uncommon can't grow on the inside of you. Come on, Samuel happens by grace. You can't manufacture a Samuel. I don't care if you put true religion on your little boy. I don't care if you put uh, if you put all the finest clothes on your little, on your little daughter. Uh, come on, you cannot produce a Samuel by your own efforts. It has to come by grace. It has to form in the presence of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And what I love about this text is uh, if Peninnah was smart, she would have shut her mouth. Uh, if Peninnah was smart, she would have she consoled Hannah. If Peninnah was smart, uh, she would have tried to comfort her and encourage her. Why? Because just like Jesus, the Bible says if the rulers would have known what they, what they were doing by crucifying our Lord, they would never have crucified him. They would have kept him alive. And so if Peninnah knew what she was doing, she would have blessed Hannah. She would have prayed for Hannah. But because 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 she annoyed Hannah it pushed her to the altar and when Hannah got to the altar God moved in her midst <laughs> you see the devil was working through Panenna he still didn't learn his lesson two, two years later generations later he still didn't learn his lesson it pushes us to the place of death but we have to die to our opinions. We have to die to what we want this to be. We have to die to what we think this is about. It reminds me of that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. He said, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And we've made it about us. We've made it about what we want. We have become prideful in our own eyes. But God says, no, nah, no, nah, baby, I got something better for you. I have something greater for you. Peninnah pushed her to the point where she had to die. And the Bible says she cried out bitterly. It says that she lifted her voice and she was crying. And it was so intense that it came a point in time where he, there were no words coming out of her mouth. How many of you ever prayed to the point where you just ran out of words? Come on. It's like that song Donnie McClurkin says, prayed and cried. Prayed and cried. How many of you have been on the altar praying and crying? God! If you don't do it, if you don't make a way, Peninnah pushed her to a place where she was broken before God. 
And then we see here the, the man of God notices her. The man of God notices her, and he thinks something's wrong with her. Be careful how you judge people when they come to the altar. You don't know what they're dealing with. How dare you? How dare you? This is a child of God coming to the altar. The altar is a place where things happen. The altar is a place of repentance. The altar is a place of sanctification. The altar is a place of a death. Be careful how you characterize people because they come to the altar. You don't know what they're dealing with. And so Eli falsely assumed that something was wrong with Hannah, but she says, oh, no, sir, don't mistake me for a daughter of Belial. Don't mistake me for one of those women. I'm believing God for something. And so he said, oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, in that case, in that case, may God grant your request. Now, I want to digress for a moment and say this. This is why you should never stop coming to church. So many people stop coming to church because they're going through or because they think heaven has shut down on them or because they think God has turned a deaf ear. No, that's the time when you need to come to church even that much more. That's the time where you need to press into God that much more. Why? Because the Bible says that when Eli gave her the blessing that she left and she was encouraged. The Bible says she stopped crying and she actually felt better. You will feel better. You will be, in, you will be uh, strengthened. You will be lifted up in your spirit when you come to church. Don't miss church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the matter of some is. But encouraging each other all the more as we see the day approaching. Don't Stop coming to church. If you know somebody that's not in church and they have not been in church, you better get on that phone. You better text them. In fact, text them right now and say, get down to the house of God because there's a word for you. You can receive. I don't care how much you think you hear God. You cannot hear God in the same magnitude and in the same way as if you would come to church. There is a man or woman of God who is anointed no, 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 I don't think you understand. Bishop is anointed. Come on, he is anointed to deliver the word to you. How dare you think that what you can do is greater than that? I had church at home. I watched, I watched, I watched it on the TV. That's not the same as being in real time. That's not the same as being able to actually feel his presence in the, in the great assembly. That's not the same thing. Don't stop coming to church. I got to move. I got to move. Hallelujah. Don't look at Penina. Because if you look at her, you'll start to compare You'll start to compare yourself. And I heard Bishop Hines preach this message a long time ago about comparisonitis. You will always fail trying to be what God wants you to be if you're looking at somebody else. Here's why you don't compare yourself to Penina. Because this is why Penina, Penina, Penina is a, is a, is a newfound development. In other words, before there was a Penina, there was a promise. You got to get that. How do you know? Because the Bible says that long before the world was made, God already chose you. No, no, no. Ephesians 1. He chose you before Peninnah was even born. So guess what? It's got nothing to do with her. She has a purpose. 
And some of us, we've missed out on the timing of God because we got so, we got so overwhelmed by those people who were thorns in our flesh. We got so overwhelmed by those who were adversaries that we missed their purpose. Their purpose was to push us. Let me keep going. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me say this. David said this, Psalm 31, 15. He says, my times are in your hands. And what that literally means is that every moment of my life, every day, every week, every month, in fact, my destiny is all in your hands, oh God. And so what that means is I don't care what Panina says. I don't care what your haters say, if I could put it in that language. I don't even care what the devil tries to insert in your mind. Your times are in the hands of God. How do you know? Well, verse 20 in chapter 1 says this, that in due time, in due time, come on, in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. In due time, she gave birth to a son again. It wasn't that he was mad at her. It wasn't that she was doing something wrong per se, but he needed to get her elevated in her perspective. He needed to know that it's not about your husband. I know you love your boo. I know you think that it's all about you and what LK and I can do together, but I want to produce something in you that is supernatural. And so guess what, Hannah? I'm sorry, but you got to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait. You see, God is, he, he's a wonderful teacher. And he never wants us to assume that our ascent in him or our advance in the things of God comes by our own strength. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so if we're not careful, if we focus too much on Penina, we will also miss the lesson that God wants us to receive. We will miss the lesson, and that is the very most simplest lesson that we all probably could ever learn. That's this real quick. I'm in control. <laughs> he, I'm in control. It does not matter which way the wind blows, because guess what? Jesus demonstrated that God is uh, uh, superior than the winds and the waves. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. God is more superior than the winds. He's more superior than the floods. He's more superior than the fire. God is in control. And so that brings us to a point where we cannot settle for less than what God has for us. We can't settle. And we see an image of this in verse 8 of chapter 1, 1 Samuel. Uh, Elkanah trying to be a good husband. And why? Just forget. Let me, let me repent pro as proxy for all the husbands in the room. Let, let me just ask your forgiveness because guess what? In our best effort to try to make it better, we don't know what we're doing. We don't have the right words to say. He said, baby, look at me. Aren't I enough? A friend of the family said it like this. She, she, she was describing her love for her son. She said, I love my husband. But she said, I love my son. So no, Elkanah, you're not enough. You don't replace a son. And mothers, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know the experience, but you do. You, there is nothing that can compare to the love you have for your child. He was trying to say the right thing, but he, he really didn't do any justice. He, he, he really didn't help. And if she was not careful, she would have settled for what he said. 
well, you know what? I guess we we'll just, I guess it's just not for me. I, I guess it's not, it's not what God has for us. But she didn't give up. The next time we see her, she's going to church because after all, this was a church going family. They were faithful. And I would imagine there are some of you who feel like Hannah today. There are some of you like, like Elkanah and Hannah. They were church going people. Right? In fact, Elkanah was, he, he was a Levite. He was, his bloodline was, was all, it goes all the way back to Kohath, which was a part of the clan or the, the tribe of Le, Levi. This was a godly family. And in fact, you could say he was a leader. And those, there, there's no greater embarrassment than to, for a leader than to not see God move on your behalf when you're a leader. I'm going to just give you that little insight for those who may not have gone into that particular state of being just yet. It's an embarrassment for, for things not to happen for leaders because the leaders are in front of the people. So whatever a, 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 lay, a, a laical or somebody that's a part of laity is experiencing, it's even worse when you are a leader. For a leader's a wife to be childless is, is an embarrassment. But if we take our eyes off of him, then we will settle for less than what God has. And we will begin to cast our gaze on Peninnah. Uh, but the Hebrew writer tells me that I need to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of my faith. Uh, I, I know Peninnah might be stating some facts, but she does not know the truth. And so, yeah, Peninnah, I might be childless. Yeah, Peninnah, you might have had children before me. Uh, but guess what? Greater is he that's within me than he that is in the world. If God be for me, who can be against me? So if you have a hater in your life, if you have a Peninnah in your life, you need to stand flat-footed and say, no matter what you say, I believe the word of God. I will stand on the promises of God. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkland Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.